Good to see you all here this morning. Um, as Scott mentioned, there is this night out um, this Tuesday, and so we do the night outs so that beyond this gathering on Sundays, we'd have an opportunity to connect, to get to know each other. Um, when we began this church four years ago, we really desired to be a place where people could actually share life with each other, where they could do life together when you know, celebrating things that they'd have people to share that with. A lot of people, you know, you move to an area, you start a job, and you maybe you move away from your family, and so you end up in a city kind of by yourself, potentially. And so a church can be like a family in, the, in that it can really come alongside strengthen you. It can come alongside and just um, mourn with you when you're, work, when you're walking through some trials and tragedy. Um, you know, God did not intend for us to live life on, on an island. And so many people here can attest to the fact that, that you know, our church and, and the community of, 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 you know, people that are gathered here really have supported and in, in different stages, both the highs and the lows. And so the reason we do the Smoky Canyon is barbecue and those kind of things is not just because the Smoky Canyon burger is amazing, but it is amazing. So you need to know, if you don't know, if you're going and you don't know what to order, go for that. It may seem like this you know, obvious, like, eh, there's so many other things on the menu, but it is so good. And I, I said this last service, I can't say it enough. Every time I eat the thing, I'm just like, how can a burger be this good? So I hope it's not a letdown if you try it, but there are plenty of options. But um, I hope you come out to that and connect with some people. Not just maybe um, maybe some people in the stage of life that you're in, because maybe you need that right now, but maybe even people who are um, in different stages, so you can just get to know others, where they're at, learn from them. And so I hope you'll join us for that. Um, this morning, before I get into my message, um, I'm Holly Garrig is going to come up here. Holly is a part of our church. She's a member of our church and has been coming to our church for about two years now. She's a recent graduate from CBU down the hill from Cal Baptist. And I have asked her to come up here and share with you some of what God has been doing in her life. She is, she is uh, heading into ministry full-time. And so she is, I, I would say, heading in a direction that is a major faith step or series of steps. And so she's joining a staff of, of campus ministers at the univer, at UC Riverside. And so we're really excited about that. We planted the church here because we wanted to be close enough to UCR to where we could support a campus ministry. If, if the Lord ever raised one up, we wanted to be close enough to where we could come alongside that and Two years ago, there was a ministry that began there. And so to have one of our very own to go and to join that ministry, to be focused there full time, um, it's just it's thrilling to me. And so I want you all to, to, if you haven't met Holly, this is Holly. And um, I want you to get to know her and begin to pray for her and see how you can come alongside her. So three questions. First, Holly, why have you decided to go into ministry? Of all things you could do, why have you decided to go into ministry at the UCR campus? Yeah. Well, um, I grew up in a Christian home where I learned all about Jesus and everything and had so much head knowledge, but that by the time I got to college, I realized, oh, I'm supposed to like be doing something with all of this head knowledge that I have. I need to be sharing this gift that I have with other people. Um, so realize that through the campus ministry of the school that I graduated from, Christian Challenge, and was really involved learning how 
to um, share my faith with other people, how to um, really establish a relationship um, with others and share Jesus with other people and realize I really like doing this. <laughs> um, and I believe that God calls us to make disciples of all nations. And so decided, well, what if I did this for a period of time in my life? So that's what I'm doing. So she has, she is from Laguna Niguel, and she finished school. She could have went, moved home, or all sorts of places. I'm sure she could have taken, <laughs> but she decided to plant herself here in Riverside permanently, and until the Lord redirects. And so, um, how, how, like maybe you can share with us specifically what you'll be doing to reach um, students on the campus there. Yeah, I am going to be working with a couple sororities on the campus, getting to know um, girls on the campus, spending time um, just kind of getting the feel of where students hang out, um, spending time with girls that are in sororities. The fraternities and sororities hang out in the middle of campus every Wednesday for like a social time just to hang out with each other. So that's a great time for my staff and I to go and, in a very relaxed way, um, meet students to build that relationship so that we can eventually share the gospel and kind of begin that discipleship process. Yeah, one of the things that when we started the church here, we moved and there was um, four family units that moved into this area to try to meet people. And we tried all sorts of different things, and so that's what they'll be doing as well. You know, just kind of like trying to figure out, okay, where are you working, God? I want to join what you're already doing. I want to try to help create some new things there. And so uh, we need to be praying that God would lead her to the right people, um, connect her and her ministry team to the right individuals on the campus who have influence. And so um, how can we be praying for you specifically, and what? how can we help you as a church? Yeah. Um, well, I need more people to partner with me so that I can go and be on campus to work with students. Um, so if you would like to partner with me, you can just write Partner with Holly on your connection card, and I'll get a hold of you um, sometime soon. So that's one thing that you can do. Um, also, just need prayer for um, my support raising process. I am at 52% of my budget right now. And which is really good, but striving to be at 100% by September 1st. So I still have a little ways to go um, so I can be on campus. And then also just for um, the students when we do get on campus that once um, we're in the sororities kind of figuring out where we want to get started, that there will be some girls that will have influence within each sorority that we encounter um, that we'll be able to build a good relationship with them so they can help us spread within that, those sororities so we can have a good and have that person of influence. So, so as she said, um, on the back of your connection card where it says comments, um, if you're interested in hearing how to partner with Holly, just write partner with Holly on here. We'll give her all those names. Um, uh, people who do what she's doing, they raise their support to live. And so, um, and it's, you know, that's a really scary thing to go in and talk to people about you're stepping out and you're doing this. And it really requires a, a network of people that partner with her. And so um, as a family, we're partnering with her. And as a church, um, our church is going to be contributing monthly to her uh, ministry as well. And so, but I, I would encourage you, if, if you'd be interested in hearing more, I, I, I think it'd be great if we had many families that came alongside Holly to the extent that you can. And it might just be, you know, we'll pray. We'll commit to pray for you. And so, but she'd love to share more with you. 
And so I'm going to pray for her. Let's do that together. Father, thank you again for Holly, Lord. Thank you for the work that you've begun in her life, Lord, and that you've been preparing her for this point, Lord. And now as she steps out, God, she is trusting you to provide. Lord, we know that you you own it all, God. All the cattle, all the silver, all the gold. The Bible says it's all yours. And so, God, you simply need to release that, Lord, and and to provide in ways like this. And so we ask you, Lord, to to provide for Holly to make to make it possible for her to quickly be able to begin um, to focus on this ministry at UC Riverside. Lord, we pray for the for that campus. We pray that you'd prepare hearts and prepare uh, souls and people, just that you'd begin to work in people's lives, so that she would quickly be able to see uh, where you're at work and know where to invest her time, Lord. Um, we pray for your protection over her, God, as she steps into this new role. And we just pray that you just keep bringing her back, focusing her on um, um, why she's doing this. And, and, Lord, in the tough times, I pray you'd encourage her, Lord. And I pray that she would experience um, support as we come alongside her, Lord. And she knows she's not doing this alone, Lord. She has a church that really does care and love her and, and want to see her um, succeed in this, Lord, and to, to do the work you've planned for her. So we just pray your blessing over her in this uh, new phase of her life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Holly. Well, this morning we are beginning a new series called Paradox. And as you see up on the screen, and paradox is not a word we use all that often, so let me define it. It's at the top of your listening guide. There's this listening guide you can follow along. But paradox is this. This is from dictionary.com. Just Paradox is a statement or a proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality, it expresses a possible truth. Webster, the expert, says this, a tenet contrary to received opinion. So paradoxes, they just, they don't, we hear these statements that just seem like ridiculous, sometimes trivial, but there's actually a truth being communicated in a paradox. And when you follow Christ, it feels like you are living a paradox. If you've never decided to follow Christ and you're in the process of thinking through, making that step, taking that step to become a Christ follower, you need to understand, if you were to do that, living that life, it's going to feel paradoxical. It's going to seem at times absurd, but God's trying to do some things through that. Over and over, the people and the things that are most important in any given situation seem insignificant. And the insignificant it's truly important we find out. We see this in Scripture. When God scans over a situation, we get surprised by the things that He focuses on, the things that He uses. When He looks at people groups, the things that the people that He chooses to use, we get often very, very surprised. It seems absurd to us that He would use some of the characters, the situations. One example of that is Christmas. Um, Christmas is a, is a perfect example of of this idea of a paradox. You know, it's we're we're not in the Christmas season yet. I know some of you would love to be there, you know. You're ready to string the lights, put the music on. We have a friend that does that really early in the year. And, you know, she just the sooner the better for her. But Christmas is one of these paradox times in that God arranged for Jesus to be born in this obscure village, Bethlehem. Bethlehem was, you know, just this this tiny, not, you know, a major, you know, it's like a speck on the map as opposed to the big major dots on the map. 
Bethlehem. Why choose Bethlehem, God? Jesus is born in this small, obscure village. His family was not given significant, um, you know, preferential treatment because they weren't a significant bunch. And so they weren't given a nice room in the end. They weren't expected. And so Jesus has to be born outside or he, you know, he's, he's placed in this manger, this horse trough, you know, not exactly what we'd expect. Jesus grows up in a place called Nazareth, which is kind of somewhat similar to Las Vegas, has the same reputation that Las Vegas has for us today. He dies. He lives this life and he dies a criminal's death. And yet we find out that Jesus is God who became a man. He took on human flesh. And we find out that all who bow their lives to him are blessed. It's kind of a paradox, though, the story. That God would do this through Jesus. It's just we scratch our heads when we look at the details. And it's important to know this is God's way. He consistently works through people and through things that we consider trivial. Over and over and over. And if we don't understand that this is God's way, what we end up doing is we end up missing what God is doing. We overlook the truly significant in life. Because we're so focused on significance, 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 we miss it if we, if, if we don't catch this whole truth. The top of your listening guy, though, there's this statement. God keeps making the insignificant significant. He does this over and over. He has a purpose in this. And we find this purpose in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. A little history about this book. Corinth is a city that was a very worldly city. A church was planted in this very, very worldly town that was made up of, of uh, well, there was a lot of uh, travel going through the city of Corinth. Because of where it was situated, it was just a common area for people to travel through. And it was kind of a um, a pleasure capital of that area. A very, very immoral, worldly um, focus of the city. It had this giant Acropolis, high part of the city, where a lot of pagan worship would go on and thousand, a thousand temple prostitutes would daily come down and, and offer their services to the people in Corinth and to the foreigners who would pass through the city. And so just a real, like, known to be a very immoral place. God decides to birth this city in this very immoral setting. And this church is formed, a guy named Paul gets the church off the ground. He creates some leaders. He spends some time there. And then the church is, is off and running. Paul, the, the church planter, he goes off to another place to form another church to share the good news of Jesus and sends a leader named Apollos to come back to Corinth and to be the pastor over this church. And so over the course of this early church as it's budding, some of the people kind of got really close to um, some of the church leaders. And so some people began to identify with Apollos, this pastor of the church. I'm, and they would say, you know, I'm with Apollos. I'm from Apollos. Maybe Paul, Apollos had invested in them. And so he's the pastor. And so they felt like, you know, I'm going to claim association with Apollos, this guy, this, our pastor. And other people said, well, I follow Paul because they knew Paul. Some people were there when Paul, who'd started the church, you know, so some people were associating with Paul, this big shot church planter, and, and other people were cl- claiming other things. And so Paul writes in previous verses, he says, you know, he says, we're just men. And you know, some say I follow Paul, some follow Apollos. He says, is Christ divided? 
It's not about any of us. He's saying it's about Christ. People, though, they were trying to add to their significance by claiming association with certain leaders. And so there was a lot of problems in this church. This this letter is mainly a correction-type letter. He just nails a bunch of issues. One is unity. That's kind of what we're looking at this morning as well. But But people borrowed the names of these church leaders because they didn't think that in and of themselves they were complete. So they they would claim association in order to build their own significance and status in the eyes of others. And so I want you to look at this passage with that in mind. He says this, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Like think of where God you call, what where what God called you out of, the life you were living, the 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 lives you led before coming to Christ. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Like there's not these super intelligent guys in this church. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. It's almost like Paul's saying, I'm looking at the role of your church. I'm looking at all the names, the directory. And he's like, I know you guys. Not many of you. You're not the sharpest bunch. You're not the most influential bunch. You're not the, you're not the high status Christian leaders. He's saying, you're kind of this insignificant bunch. He's kind of saying. And then he gets to verse 27. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. See, what he's saying is God does things different. He, he took this worldly, immoral bunch and all of what you came out of, and he chose to use you to shame man's wisdom. Then he says God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Again, not what we would do. We use the strong man. We use the smart man. We, we emphasize intelligence, strength, beauty. God doesn't, he doesn't work that way. He's saying he chose the lowly things of the world, like things that don't come from noble birth. Jesus himself was not of noble birth. He was born in extremely humble circumstances. He goes on, he says, and the despised things. And the things that are not. Like, this is what God uses. Things that are not, meaning like the disposable things. When I use, when I blow my nose in a Kleenex, you know, I don't frame it. I'm not, I'm not proud of it. I can't say that I've never been, but I, you know, I'm not, I'm not proud of it in that I put it up on the wall and say, look at that, honey. You know, look at that, kids, you know. But what he's saying is, you know, what do you do with a Kleenex? You throw it away. It's disposable. God's, but what he's trying to remind them of is God uses these, dis, these disposable things, the things that we throw away. Why? He says to nullify the things that are. And here's why God does it. Verse 29 says, so that no one may boast before him. God can use trash so that no one Boasts before him. We're creatures. Not in the sense, I want to pause there. He, we, we're just, we're creatures. Not like monsters, but what I'm saying is God has created us. We're created beings. And he has made us in his image. He's given us dignity. Anything good that is in our life is from him. Everything that we have, all the good things that you've ever done, it's all from him. And we want to take credit for all the good stuff, but it's only right that we give Him the credit and the glory that comes out of our lives. It's, it's all from Him. Verse 30. And so he's, Paul's reminding this church, I know where you've come from. God's chosen to use you. Verse 30 says, It is because of Him, God, it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. This is God's good work. Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's saying, 
What God has done in this church, the fact that a church is here, it's growing, things are happening, it's amazing that God did this through this group of people. He's saying, I look at the list, I can't believe that God did this, but that's how God works. And He did this because He's in charge. And He works through Christ. And look at what He's doing. He's saying, Christ has brought these things. He's brought righteousness. Christ, that is our righteousness. That word righteous means justified. We've, we've been made right. It's like we've never blown it. Basically, all of our unrighteousness has been exchanged for, for Christ's perfect life. When God sees us, He's exchanged our filthiness, our dirtiness. He's exchanged that. God's placed, He's moved the wrath of God off of us and He's replaced it with the righteousness of Christ. It's, that's a gift. It's from God. It's not anything that you guys did. You, know, you didn't do it all right, you know, but he's, God is so good that He would do this. And he's, he's brought righteousness. He's brought holiness, which is an idea of God's not only He sees us as righteous, but He's making us clean. He's making us righteous. He's in the process of us realizing just the spiritual significance of how God sees us. He's, he's in the process of cleaning us up right now. And then He says, in redemption, He's, he's bought us back. He's just reminding this church that you've been bought back with the precious blood of Jesus. And so, he's saying, because of all this, these powerful, amazing spiritual truths, it's been written, let him who boasts, if we're going to brag about something, boast about the Lord. God has this established track record of using the least in the eyes of the world to accomplish the most. That's what I want to focus on this morning. He will use the things that seem insignificant to accomplish his work. Here's some examples of that. The least, like the nation of Israel is one example. I'm not going to go into much detail on any of these examples, but Deuteronomy 7, you know, basically the nation of Israel was the nation that God had raised up, and it was the nation that he wanted to get to the whole world through. He was going to work through this nation to get to the whole world. God didn't choose the nation of Israel because they were this great, massive group, but look at what this verse says. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were numerous, more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your forefathers that He brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commands. He used this tiny nation to show His power, to show His glory. This is God's way. Another example is Jacob. Jacob, you can read his story in Genesis 25 through 36 and kind of walk through the story of Jacob, but he's one of the patriarchs of the people of Israel. And when you look into his story, you find out he was this anemic younger brother of Esau. Esau is this hunter. He's the guy that we would choose to lead things. He's the guy that you would think God would want to create a whole nation through. But God chose to use Jacob a schemer who stole his brother's birthright. And if, if we were scanning the situation, trying to find a guy to build a nation through, you and I would probably choose the hunter type, the military strong leader. But God chose Jacob. I'd encourage you to read his story, Genesis 25 through 36. Another example of this is Gideon. Gideon was this guy. Read about his story in Judges. The book of Judges is an Old Testament book. And what is happening in this time of history is God has allowed His people to advance into the promised land, but they decided to rebel. They began to do what was evil in God's eyes again, and so God allowed them to 
to pay the price for that. And so he allowed invading armies to come in and conquer them. One of those that oppressed them was the Midianites, the people of Midian. And the Israelites were farmers for the most part, and so they depended on their crops. And if you know, you know, you know, it takes time, right, to grow things. It takes time. You put a lot of energy and investment in cultivating the land, working the land, and when things grow, it's, it's important you, you take all the harvest. Well, what would happen is when the Israelites would make progress and they'd begin to grow their crops, the Midianites would come and they'd just overpower them. They'd take all the crops. It's, they'd take it and they'd oppress the people of Israel. And so the people of Israel had to hide in the, the Scripture says they had to hide in the caves and the clefts of the rock in order to just be protected. And they'd have to do things in secret in order to survive. And so one man named Gideon is he's he's treading through some grain and he's trying to basically keep his farming hidden from the Midianites and an angel of the Lord appears to him and the angel says God has chosen you to be the leader of Israel to 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 lead Israel to be victorious over the Midianites and it's interesting what he says Gideon says this he says my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. He's like, and this happens over and over again. Almost always we see this response in the Bible when God says, you're the person to do this job. The person says, you probably got the wrong guy because if you know me, you'd know that I'm this. I'm flawed. I'm, I've got a track record of failing. I'm kind of a cheater. I'm, I'm a liar. I've had some problems, God. And God continues to choose these people who say, me? Like, why would you choose me? David is another guy. Another one of these least characters. David, he becomes the greatest king in the nation of Israel, in the history of Israel. But it's interesting about David. He was the youngest member of the smallest family in the smallest clan in the smallest tribe of Israel. Yet God considered him to be the greatest. You know, he also, you know, David's throne, Jesus is said to, to Jesus said to be sitting on the throne of David. And so God uses this person that we would just, again, it was not the guy that we would have picked. God chose to use him. God scanned the situation and he chose this man. Mary was another example of this. Mary's the mother of Jesus. She was from Nazareth, a place looked down upon, as I mentioned. She gives birth to Jesus in, in Bethlehem. Again, that's like small town USA. Out of the way, obscure not an important place for there to be the birth of the king, the king of kings. The one that's celebrated still. I mean, not the place you would choose. There's this pretty cool announcement. The shepherds get this angelic announcement in the fields, but they're shepherds. Shepherds are not... These are blue-collar, hard-working men. God chose to do this miraculous event in somewhat of an obscure way. And this is how he works. Over and over, this is how he works. Here's some, here's some lessons. This is not in your outline, but just some things. You might want to jot these down. Here's some lessons to take away from this passage and these examples. First, don't be surprised when the people the world considers the most important don't follow Christ. Don't be shocked when the high-status individuals in our society do not follow Christ. The people that we think, man, that, that guy has got it all. Don't be surprised when they reject Christ. Because there's a strong current going the other direction that creates this feeling 
of paradox as we follow Christ. We begin to move in this direction. And there's a lot of voices that tell us just the opposite. Do life the other way. Do life how you want to do it. Do what you want here. And so it feels like a paradox. And we constantly have to be working against that. We have to keep that in mind as we're living this life to try to, you know, choosing to walk with Christ. I recently did a wedding. Actually, it was yesterday. And doing this wedding... And this guy comes walking up to me afterwards and he strikes up the conversation. He's about my age. And he eventually asks me, he says, I just got to know, how in the world did you end up as a pastor? Who does that? And then he says, who talks about marriage like you talked about it? And he just said, he's like, I'm kind of scratching my head. You're young, you're... And I'm all alone at this wedding. No, practically nobody. My wife's not there with me. You know. And I don't have anybody to like <laughs> go to at this point. And I'm like, that's a great question. You know. You know, so I'm trying to explain and add some value to my life and in this guy's eyes and huh. And he's just And I'm just like reading his thoughts. You know. But don't be surprised. Do not be surprised when you're living your life for the Lord and people just don't get it. They don't understand it. It, it may feel like you're swimming against the current of our culture, and that's okay. So that's one lesson. Another lesson, don't limit who you're willing to learn from. We briefly touched on this last week, but God uses the insignificant things to teach us. And we need to be willing to learn from them. And I remember uh, probably a month ago, I invited my mentor's mentor to show up and to to speak here to all of you. His name was Harold Bullock. He sat in a chair right here, drank his water. And I remember the first time I heard him speak. And I'd heard his name for a while. And I I was just not sure what to expect. And And I hear him speak. I see him. I hear him speak. And I'm just like, man, he's not real flamboyant. He's not super animated. That's not what I'd expect. But then I take the time to listen. I'm like, wow, this is this is valuable stuff. And I'm just writing notes and trying to just. But again, it's it's God works through people that we wouldn't expect. I met another guy. His name is Max Barnett, and I'd heard this guy speak, and I was I had in my mind a different image of who this guy was. And then when I met him and heard him in person, this guy has has he built a ministry in. in in Oklahoma, which this ministry at UC Riverside, the Christian Challenge at Cal Baptist, many campus ministries around our country are a indirect result from him, his investment in Oklahoma and just building in some people who went spread out throughout the map. Again, I meet him and I'm like, he's not that flamboyant, he's not that loud, he's not that, you know, but man, this guy is steady, faithful, walking with God. He understands what God is trying to do in the world. He, he's joined God in what He's doing. And He's just, you talk to Him, the guy has tremendous wealth of wisdom. And again, I'm just like, man, I can't limit who I'm learning from or I'm going to miss some significant people who I would just reject. Another lesson is God's purpose in doing things this way is to show His power. The reason He's using insignificant people who, who appear insignificant because they're truly not insignificant, is he's trying to show his power. In this, we realize that he can advance his cause and do what he wants to do 
And He's not dependent on human wisdom or strength or wealth. God's not dependent on us. He doesn't need our help to accomplish His work in the world. There's a song that's been, that anytime I hear it, I, I can't help but crank it up. And I, I'm, I kind of, I mentioned last service, but I'm not current in my music. And so, um, people ask me, who do you listen to? I just don't have a great answer because I'm not current. But I'm listening to, you know, I'm listening to this station and there's this song in there that's, it's, it says, you are God alone. And it, it's this song. I mean, I crank it up every time. I'm just like, this message in this song is so true. And I need to be reminded of this often. And I, I, I put it on my phone yesterday and I was watching the YouTube video of these guys singing and I'm just like, I was really personally just having a time of worship as I sang along, as I, as I acknowledged the truth of this song. But it says this, it just simply says, you are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything that we can give. By your plan, that's just the way it is. I'm like, that, that is so true. God, is need, He doesn't need my help. He invites me to be part of His plan, His work. He invites us to take part in His plan, His work. But He doesn't need us to. He chooses to use us. He's working out His plan. The chorus says, you are God alone. From before time began, you were on your throne. It gives us this image that, you know, God, you know, He was never created. He's not a created being. He's far different than us. You are God alone. Right now, in the good times and the bad, you are on your throne. For you are God alone. Man, as I listen to that song, I think about those words, I'm just reminded that God's work in my life, God's work in our lives, and in our church is not because of some brilliant plan that we came up with. When God works in us and through us, it's for His glory. And that's it. He's working out some things in our lives for His glory. And it may seem trivial to join Him. It may seem insignificant, the role that you play. It may seem insignificant, the people that are in your life, the conversations that you have, the opportunities He's given you. But God is trying to do something in those, in those things. Another lesson from these examples is just don't overlook, the, don't overlook the fact that God cares about the seemingly insignificant people and situations that are around you right now. He cares. He's paying attention to what seems insignificant. We tend to think this. We tend to think when I'm handed a really significant role in the company or when I'm handed a really significant role in my church or in my friendship network, when I'm handed some significant role, then I'll give it a worthy effort. Then I'll do my best with it. But that's not God's way. God honors what you do with the little. He honors what you do in your life right now with the way you handle your resources. He honors that. To do, to do it His way, He'll honor it. Maybe nobody's paying attention to it. He'll honor it. He honors, if you'll do your relationships in the way that He designs it, He'll honor that. Again, you're probably not going to get a ton of praise from people in the world, but God, He honors it. So that, so, on the back it says this, so the most significant thing is to just gain a better understanding of God and what He what He wants. Just keep trying to get to know God and what He wants. This is the full passage quoted. Paul was quoting a verse in 1 Corinthians. He's quoting this book, verse in Jeremiah which says, it says this, Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not, let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts of this 
boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. See, these, those three things are what he wants. He wants to make our life. That's what he wants. We find our significance as we do life the way that he wants us to do life. There are three shaky foundations you see in that verse that are sources of boasting. My wisdom is a source for boasting. My strength and my riches. And he's saying those are shaky foundations foundations that add nothing. They're faulty. And over the last few years, as a society, we've seen how riches and the the foundation of wealth has just it's been shaky ground. So knowing God, knowing Him, getting to know Him personally, getting to understand His ways, that is that's what life is all about. Living out His purposes. It's easy to feel disappointed in this life. It's easy to feel disappointed about our failures and about ourselves. But here's some real encouragement. If you're frustrated with yourself right now, God has a track record. He does it this way. He has a track record of using the imperfect and the flawed. If you look through the pages of Scripture, you can see just God has this track record of using people who've got some pretty gaping holes in their lives and in their stories. Matthew 1 verses 1 through 17 lists a genealogy of Jesus, like his lineage. So it's it's kind of a dry read, honestly. You're like, I'm excited, I'm going to get into the Bible. Start with Matthew chapter 1. Record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of... Per- You're like, alright, skip. <laughs> you just kind of want to... You don't know what to do with it, you know, and then you're like, I tried to read the Bible, but it didn't make any sense, you know, and, and, but there's this list in there, and you look at this list, and there's a reason for it. If you look in the genealogy of Jesus, you find out that it's, it's filled with people who are flawed. He highlights these names of people, and you're like, why would they be listed? Tamar, she's one of the ladies listed. Tamar is the lady that Judah one of the sons of Jacob chose for her firstborn son to marry her firstborn son. Well, he died. And then she was to marry the next son in line. Well, he did some foolish things and shameful things, and he died as well. And so Tamar, she decides to seduce her father-in-law, has sex with him, gives birth to twins. One of the twins is named Perez, and he became one of the ancestors of Jesus Christ. For some reason... God decides to use this flawed lady and she makes her way into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. She's in Matthew. And that's just like God, to work through the flawed. Through her lineage would come our Savior. Another character, another flawed lady is Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute whose most memorable act was a lie. We read about her story in the book of Joshua. I think chapter 2, 2 or 3. and She lies... And God protects her through this lie. She's the great, she ends up being the great, great grandmother of David, the king. So Jesus' throne is called the throne of David. This is Rahab's great, great grandson. She finds her way into the lineage of Jesus. Again, a flawed lady. Bathsheba, another lady. She got mixed up with King David in an affair. Eventually, she gives birth to King Solomon, who took over the throne and built God's temple. She also shows up in the genealogy of Jesus. Ruth is another lady, Gentile lady who was, Gentiles were despised by the Jews. 
But she chose faithfulness and experienced the blessing of God. As you look at this list, it's full of, again, flawed people. But God, this is how he works. He, he uses imperfection in order to get his work done because he has the power and the strength to complete things. He fills in the gaps. Where I'm flawed, he fills in my gaps. Where you're flawed, he reaches in your life. He provides power and strength. If we'll do things his way, and we, we say, God, I'm yours. I'm yours to use. He'll work with us. That gives me hope. That should give you hope. That God can work through our holes, our failures. And I really hope that that would be an encouragement to you this morning. That you'd be encouraged to know, you know what? I'm going to pick myself up. I'm not going to wallow in self-pity. I'm not going to allow negative talk in my head to keep me from making progress in life. I'm going to allow God to use me right now. I'm going to allow Him to do His work through me however He wants. And I'd encourage, set your heart to know God better. Get into His Word. Dig into it. Maybe not start with the genealogy of Jesus, but get into it and try to try to understand who God is, how He works. Set your life to do, set your heart to do life God's way. In the little things, in the big things. And ask this question constantly. Am I willing to respond to God by doing what He wants me to do right now? It may seem insignificant, but am I willing? Over and over and over, we're going to have to come back to this question. God, what do you want, what do you want done here? Do whatever you want in my life. God, use me however you want. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about what you're trying to do. It's about your glory. In just a moment, we're going to receive our offering. And as we do, um, would you take out this white card? And on the back, you see we have these next steps. You might consider responding to one of these next steps by just checking that, letting us know. And then we can pray for you in these areas. But one is memorizing that verse in Jeremiah. Just committing that verse to memory. Just reminding yourself about what to boast in, not about ourselves. Another thing is read the story of one of the least above. One of those characters on the front side. You know, read the story of Jacob. See how God, you know, write out the lessons of what God taught you about following Him. And then maybe the last one is respond to God by doing what I know He wants me to do right now. Sometimes we know what God wants and we just... We stay in that spot and we don't act in obedience. And so we wait until we're given the real opportunity. Maybe God wants you to just take that step forward faithfully, trusting Him steadily, faithfully plodding along, walking with God. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You for Your work in our lives. The only reason I can stand up here and any of us can sing and lift our voices to praise You is because You've redeemed us. You've bought us back. We owe You a debt of gratitude. When I think about just all the the sin and the mistakes and the holes God in my life, I you know I can't help but just come back to You and just thank You for Your goodness and ask You to keep using me. God, I know that there's many here, God, that just wonders if you can still use them. Sometimes we hit a point where we just we feel like we've blown it too many times, we've done too much wrong, and we we just we feel like we're crawling back and God the truth is you go after us. You pursue us, Lord. And you have a plan for our lives. 
Lord, help us not to pursue other things above You. Help us to keep You number one in our lives so that we can live the most fulfilling, purposeful lives. God, I pray that You'd help us to respond to You today, this week, Lord, with just the things that may seem trivial and be passed over by the world, but help us to respond in obedience to the things that You've told us to do right now, God. Help us to trust You. Give us the courage, God, to live these things out this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite our ushers to be ready. Not, not just yet, though. Not just yet. <laughs> just a moment, we're going to receive our offering. And um, when we give, it's a way that we say thanks to God. It's, it's us saying, God, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for taking care of us. And what we do as a church, we steward that to serve our community, to equip the church to, to advance God's work in this community even into the world. And so, no one person funds this church. No one person, there's no Daddy Warbucks in our church that pays to keep this thing going. It really is as as together, for those of you who've decided to follow Christ and you've yielded your life to Him and are stewarding the resources, that's collectively how we work together to accomplish God's work. And so, I want to encourage you to take part in giving. If you've made that decision, if you're a guest and you're and you've not yet decided to follow Christ, um, then that this is something that our church family um, commits to together. And so we want to thank you for participating in giving. Many of you don't give in service. Many of you give online or through the mail. And so that's great. We really are grateful for that. So you guys can receive the offering. And also, if you place this connection card in the basket when it comes around, that would be really helpful. Next week, we're going to be looking further at this idea of paradox. And looking at the pain in our lives specifically. And so if you're dealing with some things that are really hard, if you're dealing with some things that do not seem to be letting up, going away, and maybe you feel like maybe this is just my lot in life to carry these things, um, we're going to be talking about that this week, this next weekend. So I'd invite you to come, and if you know some people that are going through some stuff and you think it would be helpful, I'd encourage you to bring them along. So let's continue in worship.